Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Uh, Hey, my name is Riley. I'm one of the ministers here at the church. It's great to be with you today. Uh, Before I dive in, I've got two things to say. Where's Luke at? Hey, thanks for the beard comments. I appreciate that. You know, I may not be a good preacher like you, but I do have an awesome beard, so. Uh, second thing is I wanna acknowledge some special visitors that we have here today. We've got some people from Waymaker. Would you guys mind raising your hands? We've got some people from Waymaker here today. They are uh, part of a recovery residence here in Plainfield. They've got a nine-month faith-based program for people coming out of all types of addictions. Last year, they were one of our Love Your Neighbor Fund partners, and through your generosity, we were able to give them some money, and they've used that to update their facility here in Plainfield. So uh, can, you give me a ra- can you give them a round of applause? Yeah, just want to say thanks for you guys visiting today. Wanted to say thanks for visiting today. We appreciate you guys and what you're doing. If any of you have any questions about their ministry or if you're passionate about that kind of thing, I encourage you to chat with them after service. So today I've got a question for you. And that question is, what is the most important question that you can think of? What's the most important question that you can think of? Now I know when I ask that, some of your minds are immediately gonna go to big philosophical questions. These are questions like, What's the meaning of life? Is there a God? Is there life after death? I agree with you. Those are really important questions. Those are the kind of questions that books get written about. But on a more practical level, I think that a lot of times the most important question for a lot of us is the one that means the most for our lives. Some of you are thinking about questions. Do you love me? Will you marry me? What do you want to be when you grow up? Do you want the job? How much time do I have left? Those are the questions that change our lives. And I also know that sometimes really small questions become really big questions. Questions like, where are my keys? Why did you do that? Where's the baby? Uh, My son just started walking recently. That's a big one in my house. We know anytime we cannot hear him that uh, he's doing something he's not supposed to do. So uh, I heard some amens there. Thanks for that. So since the beginning of the year, we have been preaching through the Gospel of Mark, and this is the story of the life of Jesus told by Mark, who's one of his earliest followers. And Mark, like the other Gospel writers, is seeking to answer one question, and that question is, who is Jesus? And I believe that's really the most important question that anyone can ask. We're not super far into the story of Mark, so I want to catch you up on where we've been. Right now, we're in Mark chapter 2. And at the beginning of Mark chapter 2, Jesus heals a paralyzed man and then forgives his sins. And when that happens, a group of guys called the Pharisees start asking questions. The Pharisees are a group of religious leaders, and they're in charge of the synagogues, which are kind of like Jewish churches. So after Jesus forgives this man's sins, the Pharisees ask, who is this man who thinks he can forgive sins? After that, Jesus visits the home of a man called Levi, and Levi's a tax collector. The Pharisees really didn't like tax collectors. They thought they were sinful people. They thought they were traitors to the Jewish people. So when Jesus visits Levi's home, the Pharisees ask, who is this man who eats with tax collectors and other sinners? After that, some people learn that Jesus' disciples are not fasting like the disciples of the Pharisees. The disciples of the Pharisees would fast on certain days of the week, but Jesus' disciples didn't fast that much. So some people come to Jesus and they say, hey, why do your disciples not fast like the disciples of the Pharisees? 
I think you see what all these questions are getting at. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? Why does he think that he can do these things? I really love the gospel of Mark, and that's because the book is all about power. In this story, Jesus is in control. He's on a mission. He's intense. He's in a hurry. And here's what I think Jesus is trying to communicate to us through all these stories. Jesus is saying, I am the ultimate authority, and people are my priority. That's who I am, and that's what I care about. Today, we're going to look, about, look at two more stories where Jesus has a bit of conflict with the Pharisees. And I'm actually going to start reading in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. You can read in your Bibles, or the words will be up here on the screens. This is what the story says. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So you see this story starts with another question. Why are your disciples doing this? Who do you think you are? Who is Jesus? So the disciples have gotten in trouble for picking some heads of grain. And to me and you, that doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but to the Pharisees, it was a huge deal. And here's why. Both of the stories that we're going to look at today take place on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was one of the days of the week in the Jewish calendar, and it was actually, um, it was a special day. The Sabbath was one of the Ten Commandments that God gave to the people of ancient Israel, who were the ancestors of the Jewish people. So I want to read this commandment to you. It's found in Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Here's what God said. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So nobody in a Jewish household was allowed to do any type of work on the Sabbath. And the Jews took this really, really seriously. You know, crazy enough, breaking the Sabbath was actually punishable by death under Jewish law. I don't think it was practiced, but the law was there. And the reasons the Jews took this so seriously is because they believed that God would bless them if they kept the Sabbath, but punish them if they broke it. But here's the thing about the Sabbath. You know, it, it wasn't just a day off for the Jews. It, it was a holy day. It was a day for worship. Remember, God said, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. So the Jews did a lot of special things on the Sabbath. They would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, either on the day itself or the evening before. They would read scripture and discuss it. They would remember all the things that God had done for their people. Families would spend time together. They couldn't do any work. They would eat special foods together. So this was a really important days for the Jews. And that's why this was so important for the Pharisees. But here's the thing about the Sabbath. It was meant to be a blessing, not a burden for the Jewish people. It was a day for rest, but also a holy day for worship. Where things started to get a little interesting is over time, Jewish legal experts like the Pharisees started to interpret the Sabbath. They started to ask the question, what exactly did God mean by do not work on the Sabbath? And over time, they started coming up with lists of rules for the Sabbath. I want to read some of my favorite Sabbath rules to you. So the first one is you could not walk further than 1,000 cubits on the Sabbath. A cubit is an ancient unit of measurement from your elbow to the tip of your finger. It's about 18 inches on the average person. So 1,000 cubits is about three-tenths of a mile. You could not walk very far on the Sabbath. You basically had to stay home. You also could not wear perfume on the Sabbath. 
I don't wear perfume, so I don't know how that counts as work. Maybe somebody can tell me later. Uh, you could not dust your house on the Sabbath. My wife and I dusted our whole house a few weekends ago. I promise that's work. Definitely one of my least favorite chores. You could not draw water on the Sabbath. You had to get everything you needed the day before. You couldn't extinguish a fire on the Sabbath. But good news, you also couldn't light a fire on the Sabbath. <laughs> you could not erase two or more letters on the Sabbath. So all the kids are like, yes, no school on the Sabbath. And you couldn't ride a horse on the Sabbath. You couldn't walk more than a thousand cubits and you couldn't get a horse to do it for you either. So that's how seriously the Jews took the Sabbath. They were so committed to keeping the Sabbath that they made all these rules so that nobody would even get close to breaking it. And, you know, that's part of why I like this story between Jesus and the Pharisees. So the Pharisees couldn't walk more than a thousand cubits on the Sabbath. They couldn't do any work on their farms on the Sabbath. Well, why were they following Jesus through a grain field on the Sabbath? They had to be stalking him. They were waiting for him to mess up. And that's why the disciples got in trouble. They broke the law according to the Pharisees' very, very strict interpretation of the Sabbath. I want to show you how Jesus answers the Pharisees. This is Mark chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. I really like how Jesus fires back at the Pharisees. He's like, hey, have you ever read that story about David? Well, let me tell you something about the Pharisees. They were experts in the Jewish law. These guys had memorized most of what we call the Old Testament. And David was the greatest king in the history of Israel. So of course they had read that story. Jesus, I mean, that's like asking a mathematician, hey, you know two plus two equals four, right? So it's a bit of an insult. I wanna zoom in on this story about King David so you understand what Jesus is saying. This story is from 1 Samuel chapter 21, and the story actually takes place before David is king. At the time, he's working for another king named Saul. And, you know, David was a very powerful warrior, and that made him very popular with the people. And over time, that made Saul jealous of David. And eventually, he got so jealous that he tried to kill him. So David had to run off. And that's, that's where the story that Jesus is talking about takes place. As David's running away, he makes his way to a town called Nob. And at Nob, there's this holy place. There's some priests there. And David goes to one of the priests and he says, hey, me and my friends are hungry. Do you have any food that we can eat? Well, the priest is a little suspicious. He's like, David, you're, you're a pretty well-known guy. Why didn't I know that you were coming? I would have prepared something for you. So David lies to this priest and says, well, I'm actually on a mission for King Saul. The priest thinks about it. And he's like, well, we, we don't have any food here, but we do have this sacred bread only my fellow priests and I are supposed to eat it, but, you know, I like you. I like King Saul. If you're on a mission for him, I guess you can take it. So David takes this bread, and he and his friends eat it. So basically what Jesus is saying is, hey, you know that time that David lied to a priest and ate some sacred bread that he wasn't supposed to eat? Well, my disciples are hungry. Surely they can eat a snack on the Sabbath. This can't be that big of a deal, can it? Well, the Pharisees couldn't disagree with Jesus. To do that, they would have had to say that David, their greatest king, had done something wrong. I want to say something about the Pharisees really quick. Uh, I, I think in church, a lot of times we have a bad habit of casting the Pharisees as these really bad guys. And, you know, certainly they were responsible for killing Jesus. Some of them were bad guys. But I do think that most of them were probably really good guys. 
I think that they loved God. And I think that they were doing everything they possibly could, everything they knew how to do to love God. I think where they went wrong is they started prioritizing their man-made rules over everything else. And I can say that because there have been times in my life where I have done the same thing. That's something we've always got to be on the lookout for. The truth is that this is an issue that really continues to this day. There are people that innocently misinterpret scripture, come up with some crazy stuff. There are people who twist scripture for their own personal gain. There are people that add rules to the Bible. I want you to know that you cannot trust everything you see online, everything you read in a book, or even everything you hear a pastor say. The only way to really know what's true is by reading the truth. And the only way to fight mistruth is with the truth. That's what Jesus did. He quoted another story from the Bible to show the Pharisees that they just didn't understand the Sabbath. And that's really why it's important for us to read our Bibles and know what they say. Here's the next thing that Jesus said to the Pharisees. This is verse 27 and 28. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I love that. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you. Think about the Sabbath. You know, when God created the world, it took him six days and then he rested on the seventh day. Well, God had all the power in the universe. He could have created the whole universe in one day if he wanted to. And he certainly didn't need to rest on that seventh day. He wasn't tired. So why did he do that? He did it for us. He did it as an example. God created you and he knows what you need and he knows that you need rest. As followers of Christ, we are not required to follow the Sabbath like the Jews. We have freedom in this. But that doesn't mean that we don't need a Sabbath. We actually all need a Sabbath. We need rest for our bodies and for our souls. But here's the difference between the Sabbath of the Pharisees and the Sabbath of Jesus. To the Pharisees, the Sabbath was all about don't do, don't do, don't do. To Jesus, the Sabbath is all about do, do, do. It's about creating healthy habits for your lives. My son was born around 11 months ago. He's getting ready to turn one. And uh, my life for the last year has been a whirlwind. Honestly, I thought I was busy before I had a kid. I was dead wrong. The parents are laughing right now because they get it. Uh, if, if you're having a kid soon, just be, be prepared. It's awesome. But man, I, you know, there are days where I feel like I could hardly hold my head above water between work and trying to be a decent husband and trying to follow Jesus and all the other things I've got to do. And on top of this, I've got this baby who literally can't survive without me. Because of all that, I know that I need a Sabbath and I want a Sabbath. When I think about my life, one of the things I want most is a day where I can spend time with my family and not have to worry about work and chores and all the other things that I have to get done. Does anybody else agree with me? Yeah. Here's another thing that I love about the Jewish Sabbath. Because the Jews couldn't work, this gave them space, space for rest and space for worship, a time where they couldn't do anything else. To the Jews, the Sabbath wasn't just a day off of work. It wasn't just taking a day off so that you can work harder the next day. It was a really intentional day. And I know that's something I need in my life too. I need time to connect with God. Here's what I want you to know about the Sabbath. If you hear me say one thing today, this is what I want you to hear. God's commands are not meant to burden. They are meant to bless you. So my encouragement to you is to take the blessing of the Sabbath seriously. Carve out time for rest each week and use that time to spend with God and spend with your family. 
Everybody needs to take a Sabbath, but I can't tell you exactly what your Sabbath is supposed to look like. Like I said, we've got freedom in that area. You can walk as far as you want when you rest. You can ride a horse if you want. Uh, you know, you can do it on whatever day of the week you want. But, but, but here's two questions I wanna ask you so you can kind of think through what you need to do during your Sabbath, during your time of rest. The first question I've got is, what's something spiritual that you would like to do that you're not doing now? That could be praying, that could be reading your Bible, that could be worshiping personally, that could be you know, discussing things with somebody else. Those are just some ideas. The second question I've got for you is, what's something that you wish your family was doing that you're not doing right now? Those could be two good places for you to start. Now I know as I talk about the Sabbath, some of you are sitting out there thinking, I do not have time for that. This sounds awesome, but I don't have time for that. If that's you, you need a Sabbath. <laughs> God knows that you need rest. So my encouragement to you is to pick a time to take your Sabbath. I think a whole day is ideal. That's what God told the Jewish people to do. But if you don't think you can do a whole day, at least start with a few hours. Make it weekly, be intentional about it, see how it changes your life and changes your family. There's one more thing I wanna say about the Sabbath before we move on. One of my favorite scriptures is in Matthew 11:28 28 through 30. In that, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Your soul needs rest. If following God seems burdensome to you, if following God just seems like a long list of rules, you might not be following Jesus. You might be following man-made rules. Let's get back to the story. I want to read verse 28 for you again. Jesus said, the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The son of man is one of Jesus' favorite names for himself. And, you know, it's really hard to understand exactly what Jesus is saying without knowing where that comes from. This title actually comes from the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. It's from a vision that God gave the prophet Daniel. So this is Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Here's what it says. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So when we hear Son of Man, we're like, oh yeah, Son of Man, I'm one of those too. But that's not the point. Jesus is, saying that, is not saying that he's like a man. He's saying that he's like God. What Jesus is saying is, hey, you remember the one that rides on the clouds like God, the one that Daniel talked about? Remember the one that Daniel said could enter God's presence? Remember the one whose kingdom will never pass away? That's not me. Jesus isn't saying that he's like man. This is a claim of divinity. And that's why Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one that decides what is true on the Sabbath because he's the one that created the Sabbath. I gotta move on for the sake of time. There is so much more that I could say about that. Uh, let's go to the next story. This is Mark chapter three, verse one. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Earlier, I told you about some rules for the Sabbath. I wanna share a few more with you that had to do with helping people. So let's say that you were a good Jew living at the time of Jesus, and one of your neighbors is out walking and they fall in a ditch. Well, if that person busted their head and broke their leg, you could stop the bleeding on their head to save their life, 
but you could not set their broken leg. That was something you had to wait until the next day to do. So you could save someone's life on the Sabbath, but you could do nothing more. The Pharisees even debated whether or not you could heal somebody or pray for healing on the Sabbath. So this was kind of an issue. Now, all that being said, can you guess what Jesus does next? This is Mark 3, verse 3. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Mark says that this man had a withered hand and it's difficult for us to know exactly what that means. He could have been born with a disability. He could have injured his hand at work. There's a possibility that he had some type of crippling disease. Here's what we do know about this man. His disability would have caused him great shame in his society. That's just the way things were back then. This man probably wouldn't have been able to work without the use of both of his hands. So his family might have been struggling to survive. And on top of all that, this man probably didn't have any hope for a better future. There probably wasn't any cure available for his hand at that time. And that's why I love what Jesus did to this man. Think about how this man would have felt when Jesus said, hey, stand up in front of everyone. We can only imagine what was going through his head. I don't want to be the center of attention. Please don't look at my hand. Is Jesus going to laugh at me too? We can only imagine his joy when Jesus healed him and he stretched out his hand for the first time. We can only imagine his joy when he hugged his wife with both arms. We can only imagine his joy when he picked up his children for the first time. We can only imagine his pride when he returned to work. Jesus is the ultimate authority and people are his priority. And as Lord of the Sabbath, he gets to choose what is right on the Sabbath. He chose to do good. He chose to save life. I want you to put yourself in the place of the man with withered hand. If Jesus was here today, he would look at you and say, stand up. He would stand you up in front of this whole room and it wouldn't be to judge you. It wouldn't be to laugh at you. It would be to heal you. He would heal you emotionally. He would heal you physically. He would heal your family. You are Jesus' priority too. I've talked about the man with withered hand. I've talked about Jesus. Let's talk about the Pharisees. The story says that Jesus was angry with the Pharisees because of their stubborn hearts. The Pharisees knew it was right. They knew it was right to heal this man, but they wouldn't admit it because they were so committed to their own rules. I pray that Jesus never looks at you or I with that type of anger and disappointment because of our stubborn hearts. There's one verse left in the story. This is Mark 3, 6. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The Pharisees were a religious order, but the Herodians were a political party. They were the supporters of the Herodian dynasty, and the Herodians were the rulers of that area at this time. And, you know, truth be told, the Herodians were not really good guys. They probably weren't good Jews for the most part. So it's highly likely that the Pharisees and Herodians did not get along. So this is a classic, the enemy of my enemy is my friend type situation. The Pharisees and the Herodians start to work together because they feel threatened by Jesus. So what we've seen Jesus do here is he stood up for the truth. He stood up for others, but it's not popular. People want to kill him because he's doing these things. 
Well, the truth is, as followers of Jesus, there are going to be times where you and I have to stand against the crowd too. We're going to have to do something that's not popular to stand for the truth and stand for others. When I think about this story of Jesus, I'm reminded of the story of William Carey. He's one of my missionary heroes. I think we've got a picture of him up on the screen here. Carey was born in the late 1700s in England, and he was actually trained as a shoemaker, but his real passions were for Bible study and for ministry. And over time, Carey also developed a passion for missions. You know, one of the things that we take really seriously here at Plainfield Christian Church is something called the Great Commission. They were Jesus' last words before he ascended to heaven. The Great Commission says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's something we take seriously here at this church. That's why we support ministries around the world. That's why we send missionaries from this church. That's even why we've got a team of people going from this church to Mexico later this week to do a medical clinic. That's all because of the Great Commission. But as crazy as it might sound, there have been times in Christian history where people have not taken the Great Commission very seriously. There have even been times where people have not believed that the Great Commission applied to them. And that was the case in William Carey's day. The people of his day in England at that time actually believed that since Jesus said the Great Commission to the disciples, it only applied to the disciples. So, you know, there was this one time where William Carey met with a group of ministers because he wanted to encourage them to send missionaries around the world from England. That was one of the things that he was really passionate about. Well, in this meeting, here's what one of the ministers said. Young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. You can hear the lack of compassion. You can hear the racism. But because of his study of scripture, Carey knew that he, that wasn't right. Carey actually responded to that meeting by writing a book about the biblical basis for missions. And around that time, he also started preaching about missions. In one of Carey's sermons, he said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. That's my favorite quote. I want it to be written on my tombstone one day. Well, eventually, Carey himself volunteered to go and be a missionary, and he went to India. And if you would read a biography of William Carey, you would see that he did not have an easy life. He suffered a lot in India. But here's the thing. God also blessed his ministry, and he did some amazing things. Carey told people about Jesus. Carey translated the Bible into six languages and started work on many more. Carey advocated for social justice reform in Indian society at that time. And he also founded a university. So just a few things. One of Carey's most lasting legacies was that he wrote letters and sent them back to England to encourage others to support missions and even become missionaries themselves. And because of that, Carey's often called the father of modern missions. Jesus stood for the truth and stood for others. And like Jesus, Carey stood for the truth and stood for others. Carey said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. I truly believe that if you stand for the truth and stand for others, you can expect great things from God and attempt great things for God too. I want to finish the story. So the last verse, we see that the Pharisees and the Herodians start to work together. They want to kill Jesus. And it took them a while, but they were eventually successful. They killed Jesus. They put him to death on the cross. But here's the thing. In that moment, what they thought would be Jesus' greatest defeat was actually his greatest victory. Because we know that in that moment on the cross, Jesus took the sin of the world, our sin, upon himself. We deserve death because of our sin, but Jesus took our place. And after that, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin and death once and for all. And that's why Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
as the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus offers you true rest. If you believe in Jesus, you can rest knowing that your sins have been taken away. And you can also know that one day you will be able to ultimately rest with him in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for creating us, for loving us. I thank you for knowing what we need. God, I thank you for giving us opportunities for rest. Thank you for creating the Sabbath. Father, most of all, I thank you for sending your son Jesus here to this earth to live like a man so that we could know who you are. Father, I thank the Lord of the Sabbath for dying on the cross. Thank him for offering us true rest, and I look forward to eternal rest with him in heaven. God, I say this all in his name. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.